an investor's investor. Weird. Always thinking. Smart. Thoughtful. Unconventional. Hi, I'm John Lukumnik. Welcome to Outside In, the interdisciplinary podcast for financial professionals and anyone else who values different thinking. What does that mean? Well, we interview fascinating people, from Shakespeare scholars to financial data scientists, to see what the financial community can learn from non-traditional sources and from traditional sources thinking in non-traditional ways. We're breaking down the silos which too often surround the financial community. Come, listen to the sounds of those walls collapsing. Today on Outside In, our guest is Dr. Louis Tepperman, one of the most renowned transplant surgeons on the globe. Lou is the vice chair of surgery and head of transplantation for Northwell, the largest healthcare system in New York State. He previously served in a similar position at NYU Medical Center, where he founded its organ transplant center. Dr. Tepperman has been influential nationally in affecting transplantation policy and is recognized globally as a pioneer in liver transplantation. And as always on Outside In, we're about to discover what the financial community can learn from a prominent practitioner from a totally other discipline. Lou, welcome. It's a pleasure to be here, John. Thank you. So when did you become fascinated with biology and medicine? And when did that develop into a focus on liver transplantation? I mean, it's pretty extreme. It's like going from, I like to cook, to wanting to become the world's best molecular gastronomic chef. So what is it about transplantation specifically that calls to you? When did you realize that? And how did you go about becoming one of the leading liver transplant surgeons in the world? So it's a really good question, John. I, I was interested in biology ever since I was a kid. I actually had a hamster that got sick and needed an appendectomy. Whoever knew that could happen. And so I always knew I wanted to be a doctor, not a vet. And when I went to medical school, my roommate's mother needed a liver transplant. And it was back in the day, and a liver transplant patient was experimental. The only person who was doing it was in Colorado. The medicines for rejection weren't good, and very few of them were succeeding, about 25%. So imagine that, 25% and 75% died. Anyhow, so my roommate's uh, mom in medical school needed a transplant. She never got one and she died. And I said, that's what I want to do. That's something that hasn't been conquered yet. And so in medical school, I went, I learned kidney transplant at Sinai in New York. I then rotated out to Norm Shumway, who was the preeminent heart transplant surgeon of our time. And eventually I decided I'm going to do that liver transplant thing. And I studied under Tom Starzl in Pittsburgh and that's been my life. Let's talk about liver transplant because I am not a medical person. The people who listen to this are overwhelmingly not medical people. So let's talk about the operation briefly, but also everything that goes with it. I mean. We don't think about it, but there are huge supply chain issues, not just in liver, but even just getting to the liver and transporting it and everything else that, and given the supply chain issues that every business person is facing today. So what is the operation like? 
what do you have to have to increase those odds from 25% to whatever it is today? So interesting that you put it as a supply chain issue. So there, there are, for all sorts of transplants in the United States, about 120,000 people or so waiting for organs. And at best we do maybe 38,000. So we don't have the, the scarce resource to start off with. And many of those people waiting die, big gap between 120 and 40,000. And the most number of transplants done in the U.S. are for kidneys. You have two of them. So the liver is a very difficult organ to transplant. So it's in short supply. So what are you going to do? You need to get to the hospital, wherever it may be, where someone's died. So just to look at that, to acquire the organ teams have to fly, but before they fly, they have to get picked up. So you have ambulances or limousine services and you have police escorts and you have flights and delays. And in the middle of COVID, New Yorkers weren't allowed to leave New York. So transplantation was shut down. Teams weren't allowed to go someplace because you could give COVID, you could get COVID. So truly a real problem on a supply chain. What other issues existed? Well, in order to do the transplant on the recipient side, you need teams. You need the surgeons, the nurses, the doctors, but you need social workers. You need anesthesiologists, operating rooms, ICUs. It's a very expensive endeavor. And then the medicines became incredibly powerful and they brought us from 25% to now 90% successful. And the immunosuppressive drugs are what led us to be successful. But there's still a terrible critical shortage of organs. And now that we're coming out of COVID, you have the general population that is COVID positive. We're being vaccinated, but many people are still acquiring COVID, not dying from it. And, but let's say you had acquired COVID, you were in a car accident and you died. You didn't die from COVID, but you died with it. Those organs wouldn't be used because everyone's afraid to use them to convey this virus in an immunosuppressed host. So there's a shortage now be just because of the virus existing and the FDA just approved us at Northwell. It's taken six months to run a trial using antibodies in the recipient. So giving a large dose of what is Regenco taking a COVID positive organ, placing it in a, a human who hasn't had COVID, but with a large dose of antibody in place, doing the transplant, and then the day after giving a large dose of antibody. So I don't want to sound bloodless, no pun intended, when I said supply chain issues. We are talking about people's lives. We don't have a sponsor for this podcast at this point, so I will make the public service announcement which is people really should sign up to become organ donors. It's easy and you save lives. Moving on for a minute, you started to get to how complicated it was and how many people you needed and other supplies, but you've actually not just done these, but you've actually started two of the premier transplant centers in the United States from scratch. And that's pretty complicated. I mean. The architectural plans for specking out a facility with technical requirements like labs and operating rooms and even helipads to getting the government approvals, to recruiting qualified doctors and support staff, 
to figuring out profitability and your revenues are highly regulated or determined by insurance companies. How do you do that? And what have you learned about starting a complicated, regulated business from those experiences? It's a great question. And I, and I will tell you the in-depth part of it, but you were, if you were to ever ask me uh, the question, would you open up a transplant program in the middle of a COVID pandemic? I would say that's not a good idea. So I wouldn't do that again, but it, we made it successful. It's fascinating. So institutions have to actually spend a large amount of money, millions of dollars in upfront costs. Just, uh, we designed a total new ICU that was $27 million and, and built it from scratch, redo operating rooms. Those are just the brick and mortar part, getting right now the concept of transporting organs, you have to have a plane on call, pilots, you know, you're right. We have a helipad on top that we use often, but that you can't use it in all the weather. So then you go to an airplane, there are logistics involved. So the f supply chain is, is very important, but the sunk upfront costs are remarkable. And then the government makes it even more difficult. So you speak about insurance carriers or who is going to pay for the procedure. So you, a liver transplant center is not allowed to be Medicare certified until it does 10 cases. So essentially, whatever institution is going to pay the upfront cost, it's not going to get anything for the first 10 cases. And that's millions of dollars that they're just eating at the beginning. So truly institutions that want to do this are going to be doing it because they want to take care of patients. And then when does it turn its profit? Well, there are economies of scale. So transplant programs tend to have liver, kidney, heart, all in one institution. And many of the treatments are the same. The ICUs can be the same. The operating rooms can be similar. And so you begin to turn your profit. If you just looked at one organ, uh, you know, at 20 or 25 uh, cases a year. I know you can't identify patients by name because of privacy laws, but you've operated on a wide variety of people around the world from royalty, literally, to everyday workers. Is there a case that stands out to you? I, I think it's a great question and it's impossible to give you just one patient. So it, in a way, I'm going to give you more than one answer and skirt your question. Early on, when I started doing this, there was a young lady from a very poor family who had, had seen hard times. The family was destitute. There was no way she could be brought up as she had turned to alcohol and drugs. And I, I thought she was never given a fair shot. So she was transplanted, did very well. And then the proudest thing she did is she went back to get her GED, her high school diploma, and she showed it to me. And, and I've always remembered that. And, and yes, you're right. I, I helped, uh, transplant people who, uh, royalty, but also helped to do things on the world stage and, and try to help bring peace to the world. You remember those, but I think you remember these other people just as much. And, uh, so it, it makes a difference right now. We have a, a gentleman in our ICU who decided to go out mushroom picking. And it turns out that the mushrooms that he used to have in China are similar to the mushrooms here, except the ones here are called 
uh, Amanita phylloides, and they're poisonous. Actually, a little bit of uh, trivial history used to be the way they would kill uh, Roman emperors. They would give them these poison mushrooms and they would die from liver failure. So, so uh, this poor gentleman uh, made this for his family. The kids didn't like it, so they didn't eat it. He took it and he got incredibly sick. He's right now on top of the liver transplant list. You never know what's going to get you, but you wouldn't think mushrooms can do that. So be careful of mushrooms. I will take that advice to heart as much as I love them. Oh, you're a great cook, so I think I'd worry about that. But what's exciting to you right now? What are you passionate about today and why? In the transplant field, right now, I'm incredibly passionate about this new trial we're going to run with the FDA because it took six months for the FDA to approve it. And just going through the hurdles, uh, it's very interesting. So we speak about supply chain. So when you get treated with um, antibody, the government really bought all this stuff up, the shots, the antibody, it's, it's really the government's. And so the FDA wanted to make sure, since we're going to use a lot of this antibody, that it wouldn't interfere with their stock that would be treating the patients who are sick with COVID. So I believe that this is going to be a game changer and allow organs that are COVID positive from donors to be used in the country and increase thousands of transplants. So I think it's going to save thousands of lives. Of course, it could not work. That's possible too. Uh, the other thing that's interesting in, in my time is xenotransplantation. So there have been many companies, uh, I'm not involved with the, uh, any of these by ownership or anything, but there's a, a company that works on changing the genes in pigs so that uh, you can make them more like human to use animal organs in humans. And this is xenotransplantation. It was always thought that this might be the way we could do organ transplants and have it in a box when someone was sick. And recently, a pig kidney has been used in a human who was deceased. One of the, my, my teachers, his name was Norm Shumway, used to say, xenotransplantation is around the corner and will remain around the corner. I think, I think we're not there yet, but I think we're getting close. And that would be a real nice uh, move forward to have xenotransplantation. Are there ethical issues with it? I'm sure there are bioethicists. Do you have to consult on those sorts of things on, on species to species issues? I think you get into not just the cross-species virus issues and, and bacterial issues, but almost theologic issues. What makes a human a human? the ethics of it, the theology of it. We, we, we use, we use some of these things already. We use porcine heart valves, you know, already that uh, replace the heart valves in humans, but you know, they're good and important questions. Let's move on to the um, series of quick hit questions. You sound very relaxed and you obviously love what you do, but I've got to imagine it's a stressful job. So what do you do to relax? So I would say I love my work, but it is stressful. Racy, you know, it's, it's only an accident of time if someone's going to be transplanted or not, an organ is available or not. So I love to scuba dive. And so down underwater, you only hear yourself, you're breathing. And when you're not taking in a breath, you hear nothing. 
or maybe the sound of a whale and the phone and used to be the beeper. They don't work on the water. So I like it down there. Do you wreck dive or do you reef dive or do you deep dive? I wreck dive. I reef dive. Most recently I was in uh, uh, Bonaire and I was uh, doing both, but I uh, came across some really cool turtles and sharks on the water and it's just being good with nature. You know, it's amazing what's under the water. Many surgeons like to listen to music in the operating room while they operate. What sort of music do you listen to? Or do you listen to the same thing in the operating room and out? Yes, but you know, in different parts of the operation, you'll listen to different parts of the music, you know? So I, I like the doobies, uh, I, I, uh, like a little, you mean the Doobie brothers, not smoking doobies while you're yes, operating? Yes, yes, yes. Correct. Okay. That would be very bad. Just, so, just to clarify. Yes. Doobie brothers, um, little feet sting. And then, uh, James Taylor for uh, relaxing and And to be honest, I like Frank Sinatra. My wife and I love Frank Sinatra and then classical music. So I love listening to all the works at uh, Bernstein. I, I thought uh, Leonard Bernstein was a wonderful conductor in the U S. What's your favorite movie or play? Um, movie, John, uh, Star Wars. I am, I'm a big sci-fi fan. Play, uh, I would say I was really impressed with the Hamilton and I always liked Fiddler on the Roof. And in a way, they've got some similarities to them. Interesting comparison. I will ask this question, but I suspect you already told us the answer. If you could be on vacation right now, <laughs> where would it be? So it was Bonaire. I, I actually looked to see which place in, in the world had some of the least amount of COVID deaths and which had done very good protection. And it was uh, Bonaire. And of course it has great diving. So we were at Bonaire. We had a wonderful time. Last question. If you were appointed philosopher king, what one piece of wisdom would you impart to the world? Right now, I would say, take the shot, get vaccinated. And more generally? More generally. Uh, I, well, right now, from my own field, I would say sign up and donate. Okay. Save a life. Great. Thanks much. You've been listening to Outside In with John Lukonik with our special guest, Dr. Lewis Tepperman. Vice Chairman of Surgery and Director of Transplantation for Northwell Health Systems. Lou, thanks so much. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. Outside In is hosted by John Lukumnik and produced by Elizabeth Thompson for Spark Network. You can find our show on Apple Podcast, where we'd love it if you leave us a review, as well as on Spotify. Google Podcasts, Amazon, and wherever else you get your favorite shows. To get more information about our show and to stay in the know about future episodes, sign up for our newsletter on sparknetwork.com. <laughs>